How did the Baltimore Ravens 2022 rookies perform during their first year in the NFL? We talk about rookie reports and rookie grades, diving more into that offensive coordinator opening for Baltimore, the Lamar Jackson situation, and much more coming up next year on this episode of Locked On Ravens. You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we return here with another episode of Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire. We're here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for tuning in with us, making us your first listen of the day here. We're free and available on all platforms, including over on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On Ravens is brought to you by Nissan. The only thing more exciting than the big game is the all-new all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. There are only five days left until the Super Bowl here on Tuesday. Are you ready? The Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. We are back here. We're going to be talking a lot about the Ravens rookies here today with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. We're going to talk about rookie reports, rookie grades, and just how these players performed during their first season in the NFL. We'll also be talking about the offensive coordinator opening for the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, and so many other points of conversation here on today's episode. So we're going to dive into our content. But first, if you're here on YouTube with us in video form, be sure to like this video, subscribe to the channel. We are a daily Baltimore Ravens podcast five days per week, both audio and video. So if you're here with us in audio form, you're on your way to work, you're driving, or you're, you're, you're listening to us, anything you're doing here today, be sure to Follow along Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We are five days a week. So Ravens news, analysis, updates, even in the offseason, we're five days a week. The grind never stops here on Locked on Ravens. Without any further ado, let's now dive into our conversation with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. We're back here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. It is a Taco Tuesday episode. And, and Spencer, we've been talking a lot about offensive coordinator, about Lamar Jackson. And I'm not saying we're not going to talk about it here today in the, in the third segment, but I wanted to kind of take a, a mini break from that and do more of like a rookie report, rookie review, rookie grades for how the Ravens rookies played in 2022. I mean, I'm plenty of con- contributions across the board, for a draft class for the Ravens that was just absolutely massive. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. It was a really big class, and I think that's in part why we see the Ravens not have a ton of picks this year. And while they might end up, you know, who knows what happens with Lamar Jackson or whatever the case is, they might end up having a lot more picks. But over the last couple of years, the Ravens have really kind of decked it out, and I'm not sure that there's a ton of room for, you know, some fifth-round rookies, fourth-round rookies, sixth-round rookies to have a role on this team when they really aren't losing a ton of players. I mean, defensively, they're losing potentially maybe Justin Houston, Calais Campbell, Brent Urban, Marcus Peters, uh, maybe a Chuck Clark. And then on the offensive side of the ball, there's really not a ton. You know, I I expect maybe they bring back to Marcus Robinson or something like that. So it was a really big class. A lot of them played. A lot of them had a role. A lot of them rotated in or were a primary backup at some point. So it was a, a class that got a lot of run and an interesting class, to say the least. Yeah, plenty of names throughout offense, defense, and the Ravens made sure that they really picked, especially that fourth round when people were thinking they might move off of two of those fourth rounders to move up or something of that nature. They picked everybody in that fourth round. It seemed like that was the Ravens round. But we'll talk here, Spencer, about, you know, first and second days in the first segment. Then we'll talk about all those fourth rounders 
in the second one. So let's start off in the first round. Kyle Hamilton, the 14th overall pick, someone who I don't think a lot of people thought was going to fall to Baltimore at 14. Now, I know positional value-wise, some people weren't happy with the pick, especially because they had just signed Marcus Williams. Had Chuck Clark in the fold as well. But I think, you know, actual value-wise for the player, it was one of the best value picks of the first round. And then the Ravens obviously trade Marquise Brown just a few minutes after taking Kyle Hamilton, get the 25th overall pick. And they take Tyler Linderbaum, who I think a lot of people are going to remember that Tampa game for Tyler Linderbaum, where he just had Devin White. And he, Devin White did not have a fun time, I'll say that, in that Tampa game. So what, what are your overall reports, reviews, and grades for what Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum did in 2022? Yeah, Kyle Hamilton, I was glad to see that the Ravens specialized him into a little bit of a, a defined role as opposed to maybe taking the Isaiah Simmons path of throwing him around a ton and he's a linebacker, he's a safety, he's a corner, all of those kinds of things. So at first it felt like Hamilton was drinking from the fire hose a little bit. Um, I think that he improved his man coverage skills over time, his ability to understand the type of frame that he possesses at the top of the stem and be disruptive was really a, a thing that, that drew some awes over time, how physical he was. And for a true junior to come out, be a top 15 pick, be a defensive player, and to step on the field and look the part physically, I think was just a huge thing for Kyle Hamilton. And I think it's a huge credit to Mike McDonald, allowing him to play fast in that defined role. I think that McDonald's defense gets viewed as very kind of complex, but really it's simple. They only run like four or five different fronts. Uh, they kind of have guys blitz from different spots, depending on different looks, but a lot of it is similar alignment. They end up matching two-by-twos and three-by-ones in very similar situations. And from there, there's a lot of possibilities based on what the offense is showing them. So it's a little bit more reactive than it is this big, elaborate scheme where everything's drawn out on paper and there's long calls and like long terminology and things like that, which should be a little bit different from how things have been run in Baltimore over the years. So many great defensive minds. But for Hamilton in particular, um, him being able to move down into the slot and move into that Sam, that nickel role, and be such a physical presence makes you feel good about his future just in terms of his ability to impact the run, his ability to be a matchup weapon against tight ends, which when I wrote my article on, hey, why did the Ravens draft Kyle Hamilton? I do a why for every player. It was because tight ends have been abusing the Ravens over the last couple of years. They had severely struggled against guys like Travis Kelsey and some of the other big name tight ends. So to have someone who's around six foot four, around 220, can be so physical, reroute receivers, reroute tight ends, go make plays underneath. He was amazing against screens and see all those things. You feel good knowing that he has a place in the NFL to be a really good player. Um, so knowing that he's going to develop a little bit more, we'll see what happens with Chuck Clark. But I feel good about his ability to go spend another offseason getting heady and being able to buzz down and go play the hook to curl and replace some other blitzing players. So I think the versatility will come in time a little bit more so. Um, I think that a primary focus of Hamilton is just going to be being efficient, driving out of his back pedal downhill, uh, being able to react in that sense. He did have some speed turns and some loose footwork at times, but really improved over the course of the season. And a lot of that might've just been him feeling confident and him feeling secure in the role that he was in. So Hamilton was, was very fun in that sense. And then moving over to the offensive side of the ball, Linderbaum, uh, Linderbaum, I think, got a lot of flack. I certainly didn't want the Ravens to take him at 14. I thought that was too early considering a guy like Creed Humphrey, that went in the second round the year prior, things like that. But uh, Linderbaum being a late first round pick, really, you know, a borderline second round pick at that point. And coming in, another younger guy, 22 years old, you don't really see, and again, Creed Humphrey is kind of an outlier for someone that played at like a pro bowl or all pro level as a rookie center. Like if you go back and watch Jason Kelsey, who is the most commonly kind of comped player to Linderbaum as a prospect, 
he wasn't dominating as a rookie. He was inconsistent. He was quick. He had flashes, all of those kinds of things, but he was still learning how to use his smaller frame and his lower leverage to be able to manipulate and win. I thought the Ravens put him in some good spots in the run game to activate his athleticism, uh, work downhill, do all those kinds of things. He's so quick to put his hands in the right place on a combo block and then move to the second level to wall off a linebacker. His role is really in the run game to defeat linebackers and make sure that they can't make plays on the football and allow running backs to get into a hole with some acceleration. So all those things are great from Linderbaum. I think that the Ravens asked a ton of him as a pass protector. He was asked to take on a lot of one-on-ones. He was not kind of the help so often. Um, he, I think, showed a high IQ against some twists and stunts and things at Iowa. I think we saw a little bit of that with some room to improve as a pass protector. Uh, from the first week, you know, he had a tough assignment in Quinn and Williams and got bowled back into the pocket a couple times, and people were pretty skeptical. And I think he just got better and better as the season went on for the most part. He never really let – like he pretty much would lose at some point in pass protection every single game um, with you know, maybe his hands not being in the right place or maybe just getting out of his skis a little bit, whatever it may be. But he had a really nice ability to rebound. He never let a bad rep turn into a bad game. Um, I think that he ultimately showed the ability to do what's needed in that sense while having a lot asked of him. The Ravens drafted him in the first round for a reason. They had really high expectations. Uh, he ended up having a couple games where, you know, some things did get away from him in pass protection, again, just in terms of picking up on some stunts or being on time a little bit more so. So I think those things will come to him naturally. And when the time comes, I think we're looking at someone that's going to be a really high-level, you know, elite center that can be a, a big-time run-blocking, mobile, athletic. I, would, I think the Ravens are going to move a little bit more into more balanced of zone or maybe a little bit more zone-predominant scheme because of a player like him. And the fact that they have a guy like J.K. Dobbins, I think that's going to be a big part of whomever the next offensive coordinator is, and especially based off the interviews that they've had so far. But, um, you know, he never really had that bad game. While he did, you know, have some troubles against Pittsburgh in one of their matchups, did have some trouble – against DJ reader a little bit and uh, Dexter Lawrence, some of those guys, Quinton Williams gave him some trouble, let up some pressure, things of that nature. I think the, the world is ahead or the, the sky is ahead of Tyler Linderbaum in terms of his ceiling. And I think that we're going to see someone who ends up becoming an all pro or a pro bowl player in the next season, if not two seasons and stay there for quite some time. So Linderbaum showed everything in terms of independent handwork, independent footwork, um, you know, was a consistent force for the Ravens in many ways. And, Really a borderline dominant run blocker, eliminating second-level defenders. So Linderbaum and Hamilton both had areas where they need to grow. Both showed that they belong on an NFL football field. And that's a good feeling. People want superstars and people want, you know, Justin Jefferson or a really big – an Aiden Hutchinson or whatever it may be. And when you're not picking in the top 10, sometimes that can be tough. A lot of guys end up not finding snaps in year one as a first-round pick. So to know that there are two guys there that belong, that will be longtime NFL players – Ravens feel like they probably, you know, hit two doubles, have the potential for those to turn into some home runs. So they uh, couldn't ask for a ton more from those guys. Yeah, I mean, great grades wise, I'd give Hamilton probably like a accounting for early season struggles, like a B plus. Like I think he was very, very good, especially as the season went on for Linderbaum, probably like a B plus B. Like, again, two very solid players. Are you right in that frame? Do higher, lower in terms of grades? Uh, I would probably give Linderbaum, again, expectations for a rookie center are generally pretty low, especially coming in day one. I think I would give Linderbaum an A-minus, uh, considering what he was asked to do in pass pro. 
And Hamilton, I mean, the job that was asked of him, what they needed him to be, you have, you know, Chuck Clark, you have Geno Stone, you have Marcus Williams, and they needed someone to take over that nickel role. They tried to have Pepe Williams be in there and wasn't super successful. I, I think I would give Hamilton a, an A- minus there. Yeah, uh, again, kind of like that A- minus B, B plus territory. B if you're a little on the lower side, but I think both played really, really well. But moving on to day two, Spencer, I guess there's not – as much to talk about with these two guys because they just didn't play as much and and David Ajabo and Travis Jones, the Ravens taking Ajabo in the second round out of Michigan. One of Mike McDonald's guys over there was coming off the torn Achilles at his pro day, I think showed some flashes, but I mean, I guess you kind of have to give him an incomplete because he just didn't play enough to really say, Oh yeah, you can give him a B or B minus because of what he did. And then Travis Jones flashes in the preseason, plenty of them didn't necessarily play a boatload of snaps. He had 24 total tackles on the season, but what'd you see out of those two guys in their limited action? And what, what would you give him grade wise? Yeah. Ojabo, you, you give a P instead of an F you give him a pass because he made it onto the football field. So for someone coming off of a major injury like that and being a rookie it was good to see that there. Uh, then, you know, looking at Travis Jones, you see someone who fought through a sprained knee in the beginning of the year and showed up at times as a run defender. I think he flashed. I think the length of the season might have gotten him, considering that injury a little bit. Um, looked like he had flashes where he might have been able to be a little bit of a higher level contributor. But and again, you know, again, center and interior defensive lineman. What the war that goes on, the margin for error in there from college to the NFL is a very substantial jump. So I would probably give Travis Jones maybe a. I think I would give him a C plus, B minus. I think he had some pretty high expectations. Um, wasn't quite a standout player, but did have nice moments, was consistent. And when Michael Pierce went down, it forced him to have to take a lot more snaps, probably at the nose and in that regard than maybe imagined. So Travis Jones was a, a nice piece that I think still has a lot of developing to do, but uh, can be a, a big name player for the Ravens in the next couple of years. Yeah, I would, I would probably say C-plus for Travis Jones because I think we saw what he can bring and why so many people were so shocked he fell to 78 or 76, one of one of those, I think 76, in what it was for him. But I just yeah, he didn't play a ton, and you mentioned fought through the injury early on in the year. But coming up in our second segment, we'll be diving into the boatload of fourth-round picks the Ravens had in the 2022 draft reports and grades and more, so be sure to stay tuned. Still a lot to dive into here on the show. But first, this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, and I am officially still undefeated in fantasy basketball. I'm 16 and 0. I do have a bunch of stars on my team that I'm hoping to get back from injuries to use to reinforcements on the way. But if you want a different twist on fantasy, be sure to check out Prize Picks. You can have a ton of current entries, and also they have plenty of games and formats that are super, super easy to play. And how it works is you pick two to six players, and if they will go score more or less in their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus just available. Prize picks offers rejections on any sport that you watch, including the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, and so much more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. Is that easy? They have saving battle draws and are currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% deposit match up to $100 or promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, price picks will give you $100. You deposit $50, price picks will give you $50. Don't forget to send a promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. 
We are back. Our second segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostriker still talking with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore beat down. And since we got into day one and day two in the first segment for Ravens rookie reports and grades, but we can dedicate an entire segment here to the fourth round because the Ravens had that many picks. It was six guys in the fourth round where they went into it with six picks and people said, you know, maybe they could move up to an early, early fourth rounder. They had 110 and that was their first. That's where we'll start with Daniel Falele and someone who, again, some people had a second round grade on him, very raw coming out of college at Minnesota. I saw the Orlando Brown junior comps in terms of just what the trajectory could look like for him. And then I'll throw another one in here for now. Jalen Armour Davis, who was 119, who was a corner, Alabama corner. So you have the Anthony Averitts and the Marlon Humphreys of the world. The, the Alabama Raven connection is, is not dead. It is still alive. But what did you see out of those two guys this season? Yeah, Daniel Falele looked every part of someone who needs to, to continue to work to pick up his foot speed a little bit. Uh, was able to generate some movement in the ground game a little. He looked like an absolute deer in headlights in his first action against the Patriots and quieted down, goes and plays against the Bills and held his own in that game very much so. So then Jalen Armour Davis, um, you know, did not look ready to, to step on an NFL football field, especially when getting thrown into the fire of having to go against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell in uh, that Dolphins game in the fourth quarter and ends up really not getting a ton of snaps. So I think that Jalen Armour Davis, someone who worked on the vertical plane a lot, uh, needed a little bit looser hips, a little bit quicker transitions in and out of his breaks uh, at Alabama, didn't look to take any super leaps or bounds, had some injuries as well. So will be someone that they continue to develop and, and probably will take a very similar path to Anthony Averett, I'd say, where they're going to look to him in year three, year four, to be someone that can hopefully take some significant snaps. If they get more out of him in year two, I think they're very happy. Uh, a lot of development left to go. He's going to have a lot to prove in camp. And if he wants to be a second contract player and get that kind of big money, then this is a big year for him. Yeah, I think for Falele, it was very good to have him behind Morgan Moses. And even it was good to get him NFL action, even though you know he, he was learning on the spot a little bit, especially in that New England game where there was no, there were literally no options left but the Buffalo game, as you talked about. So, I mean, I, I'd give Falele probably like a – C, maybe C plus or C minus, depending on how you tilt on that scale. And then Armour Davis, I mean, he went out with the injury later in the season. You're you right, didn't really look ready to play. That that pick for me right now, not that it can't get better, but probably like a C minus, D plus. Are you, are you right in line with those grades? Yeah, right around there. Yeah, so I think for Baltimore – Two very high upside players, but there's a lot of learning for both of those. And then you move on to the next two. It was Charlie Kohler at 128, and then Jordan Stout at 130. Stout being, I think, the much more controversial pick of the two on draft day, whereas why are, why are the Ravens taking a punter in the fourth round? This was before Sam Cook ultimately announced his retirement, but the rating was pretty much on the wall there. Did, did you see good flashes from Charlie Kohler? I know, again, Kohler missed some of the year with the injury, came back, so maybe that's more of another incomplete type deal but for stout i know there were some people who were very high on his performance and then others who weren't so high yeah kohler you don't really get to see a ton you get to see him get involved a little bit at the end of the season there and some limited action so looked like the same kind of athlete that he was at iowa state able to stretch the field a little bit able to have that big presence so um, not a ton to go off there but stout definitely started to refine things as the season went on i think an underrated aspect of why the ravens drafted stout is because they loved him as a holder for Justin Tucker. And they also really like him as someone to take over kickoff duty in the next couple of seasons here to help kind of preserve Justin Tucker's role and leg and things of that nature. Um, wasn't really dropping dimes into the corner coffin at first. I think he was a little bit, you know, mediocre in terms of the beginning of the season and not super versatile, but I think that he has a huge leg. I think he started to get things right a little bit towards the end of the season is super confident. So 
Uh, wasn't like, you know, some world beating rookie punter when he came in, but I think that if there's anyone that can scout kicking talent or holding talent or snapping talent and develop it, it is the Baltimore Ravens. So I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that he did well enough for them. And if he's a punter next year, did plenty fine as a rookie. So I'm not going to pretend to know the intricacies of punting. And with that in mind, I think he you know did enough to remain the Ravens punter and continue to try and develop alongside their crack staff of specialists, Randy Brown. Right. And, and we talked a lot about how there was expected to be a drop off between Cook and Stout. I mean, it's not like Jordan Stout is going to be this Sam Cook in his first year. They're going to be the going to be the ups and the downs of rookie season for a punter. But so, I mean, maybe, maybe that's like a C for me. But then finally, Spencer, the two final fourth rounders, Isaiah Likely at 139, the tight end, and, and Pepe Williams at 141. So they double down at both tight end and corner in this draft. I know a lot of people were talking, why are they taking two tight ends and not a wide receiver? But I think for both of those guys, they actually did show flashes throughout the season, even if their rookie seasons were a bit inconsistent production-wise. Yeah, for sure. And again, tight end, another position where you don't really see guys come in as a rookie and dominate. I think that's why people went kind of so crazy about Kyle Pitts as a rookie. Um, so looking around the rookie tight ends, it was really uh, a Conquo down in Tennessee. Uh, I think that Kate Otten got a lot of run, Daniel Bellinger and Greg Dulcich. And those were really the only guys that were making a, a big name contribution uh, likely finished second in the class with 36 receptions as a fourth round pick, uh, average 10 yards per catch, and just saw the versatility there as a split out H, as someone that you can put in the slot, as someone that you can expect to be a big presence underneath. We didn't get to see a ton of him downfield necessarily, which is something I'm still curious about his ability to kind of stretch the defense a little bit more so, run some posts, run some deeper routes that can work between zones and things of that nature. But the improvement that we saw him make as a blocker as time went on was incredible. Um, his fundamental technique and ability to stay square, drive his feet, engage his hips, hand placement, all of those things was much better than what people anticipated. And that is why he's still a tight end and not a wide receiver because he can block because he is asked to block because he is put in line in certain situations a little bit, ended up taking 60 snaps in line. He had, I think five games where he took at least six snaps as an inline tight end. So have to be able to present that viable option as a blocker. And if you can't, then you're really just telling defenses, Hey, he's coming in, we're throwing the football. Uh, so you can't really rely on that on, on first and second down to go make hay a ton. So likely showed ball skills. He showed uh, the ability to clean, to break cleanly. I think he showed enough after the catch, which we saw a lot of in the preseason. And he's someone that I think the Ravens are really excited about moving forward. So uh, for a fourth round tight end, that, you know, was from a group of five school, I'd, I'd probably give him an A. Uh, you know, had some, some drops here or there, whatever, you know, disappeared at times, wasn't getting a ton of snaps at other times. But at the end of the day, you know, tears it up towards the end of the season. He's taking pretty significant snaps against Cleveland, against the Bengals, and making catches, moving the chains, and providing a nice option underneath. So I think Isaiah likely uh, had a few contested catches and, and showed the ball skills you need, the movement skills you need, and was really pleased with the way he developed as the year went on. Yeah, I mean, I, I give him an A, too, especially because when factoring in everything and kind of the weakness we saw in his game as a blocker throughout the preseason, or at least stuff that we saw he could improve on in that aspect. Plus, when Mark Andrews went down against Tampa and against New Orleans, he was making an impact, like a massive impact in those games. We saw what he could be as a top option in an offense. So Pepe Williams, Spencer, is there anything you saw from him? Uh, I don't think he's someone that has enough long speed or has the – 
uh, kind of the way he loads his columns to turn and run. I don't think he's someone you can ask to be in man coverage a lot against wide receivers. Um, he needs some development for sure. I like him as an underneath player, uh, kind of like in a Mike Hilton-esque role. He can hit, he can come up, he can play the run a little bit. Uh, he can be a force underneath, but I just don't see him being someone that is ever going to be like a full-time starter for the Ravens, a full-time kind of nickel, full-time player. But, um, you know, hey, could surprise you. Could work on his technique, could engage a little bit better uh, at the line of scrimmage and throughout routes. And I think he will be a rotational player throughout his career. Could see him, you know, making it four, five, six years in this league. Uh, I'm just not sure he's someone that you're you're really going to want to rely on a ton, especially when matched up with with true wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we saw flashes here. And I mean, the, the, the hit stick he put on Tyree Kill in week two, a lot of people remember on that third down when he prevented Hill from getting to the chains. I I give him like a CC minus probably for, for what he did. And again, if, if you can get a solid depth piece in the fourth round, I think that's a win for Baltimore regardless. And then the last pick was Tyler Beatty. He's not with the team anymore. I know some people wanted to give him more of a chance, but Baltimore's running back depth. They just have, I think they got more out of Justice Hill than a lot of people thought they were going to. I thought Justice Hill looked very good in his role. Obviously, J.K. Dobbins looking the way he did, and Gus Edwards coming back. So, even you had Kenyon Drake and, and even Mike Davis contributed there. So, there just wasn't room for Beatty, and he ends up moving to Denver where he scores a touchdown. And, like, his first, his first NFL touch was a touchdown. So, good for Tyler Beatty in that aspect. But coming up in our final segment, we'll be diving a bit more into the offensive coordinator search with new names on the docket, also Lamar Jackson talk and more, so be sure to stay tuned still. Lots to dive into on Locked On or Ravens. But first, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And if you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you have to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and one of my personal goals is to eat a little healthier this year. And if you're like me where you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise the taste, then you, again, have to get your hands on Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty, and they're so delicious, you won't actually think they're good for you because they taste that good. So it's perfect for any New Year's resolution that we're now a month plus into and what makes Bilt Bar so good is for starters are covered in 100% real chocolate that is correct you heard that right real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro peanut butter brownie and coconut almond they're only 130 calories and they have four grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein and I don't even have to wait to get a box for years I've been talking about ordering your Bilt Bars at Bilt.com but now you can get them at your local Walmart or even your Sam's Club. That's right. You head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or even coconut puffs. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with hip flavors such as brownie batter and churro. So be sure to get your hands on a Built Bar. You can thank me later. We are back. Our final segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Allshiker still here with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, the Ravens, their offensive coordinator search. It has been right around two, two and a half weeks since the Ravens and Greg Roman parted ways. We've heard a lot of names, but they now seem to be getting into the second round of interviews. We've heard names like Dave Canales and Brian Angelicchio, and a, a new one is Bobby Engram, who was with the Ravens. Now he's over in Wisconsin. But are there any names that have been linked to the Ravens that seem heavily linked, even Todd Monken in this conversation, that you feel like would be a really good fit for what you feel like the Ravens should do on offense and any top choices you have based off those names? Yeah, I really like Todd Munkin, and I think that he is someone who can adapt to what a head coach wants to be very well. I think that he utilized space of the field a little bit more so, would be able to spread things out while maintaining the authority that the Ravens desire in the run game. He's definitely one that sticks out. Uh, it's kind of always tough. A guy like Canales, you 
have never seen him call an offense. You don't know what he would do differently. I haven't seen a clinic of his or anything of that nature. So with a lot of these guys, it's, it's kind of, you know, Oh, he came from this coach and this team. So this is what I think he would do based on what that guy did and, and what I want it to be. So I think those conversations can be tough to really guess what a coach is going to do. I think that the, the way that we look at things and talk about things, Oh, well, I want him to, to throw the ball better. I want the, the, there to be more balance, those kinds of things, but it's how are you orchestrating your plan of attack? How are you utilizing, you know, different skill sets from different players? How are you engaging your quarterback? What is the primary number of your reads in the drop back game going to be like? Um, how are you planning to set up, you know, your run game and your pass game and, and marry the two together? And I think those things, it's difficult to get into, again, that kind of high level conversation if someone hasn't called plays. So a lot of the second candidate guys uh, or second interview guys, I should say, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you haven't seen what many of these guys have done before as a play caller. I would be somewhat surprised for the Ravens to hire someone who isn't a former play caller already. It would kind of go against the Ravens history. They don't have a big history of bringing in first time guys and, and giving them a shot. Usually it's honestly former like head coaches or really veteran play callers that have been through it, but seen it a bunch of different circumstances and Harbaugh probably feels like there's less growing to do, but at the same time, if you're not, Really, it kind of feels like you're combing through the the second hand bin a little bit more so if it's getting these guys that never really made that big jump. So uh, it's tough to have those conversations. It's hard to know what's what's going on in that room. But again, the the candidates that he has interviewed, it seems like they are interested in moving more towards the boot and zone offense a little bit, a little bit more under center, a little bit more of the zone concepts to play off of, simplify things for Lamar Jackson a little bit more so where he's not forced to read leverage and read defenders and uh, have that kind of straight drop game that is a little bit more him making decisions than it could be defined for him by someone's action. So um, of those guys, you know, the, the only one I'm not really interested in is Byron Lefwich. I, I know that they're still linked and interested to him, but uh, just seems like he's been quite stubborn, hates play action, isn't a big proponent of really getting creative in the run game at all. Uh, the Ravens, I you know, loved him as a prospect when he was a quarterback in the draft. And I, I feel like there's something there where they like him as a person and probably interviewed him when he was a player or a prospect and like the guy, like the work ethic, that kind of stuff. But uh, that's the one I would really be opposed to. Other than that, it's, it's kind of a, a mixed bag right now. You know, the gentleman from Minnesota, uh, what they were able to do offensively was interesting, but you don't have, you know, the, the Justin Jefferson here. And you're again, not sure what he's going to call. So it's uh, I don't know. I think it's a lot more guesswork than anyone cares to admit. And it's hard to know how you're going to feel about something until you see it on tape. Yeah. And, and it's true. And speaking of guesswork, I know one other name that I didn't mention in there is Eric bien who is still linked to Baltimore in some way, shape or form. Obviously his team is in the Super Bowl right now in Kansas City. I know we've also talked about it, Spencer, but I mean, how realistic of an option do you, do you think that is just based off any gut feelings? Um, according to Ed Reed, it's not a realistic option at all. He, he pretty quickly dismissed, dismissed that one. So it would never happen with Harbaugh as a coach or whatever it was. So, um, I'm not sure it's a weird situation. Someone that got so much buzz for head coaching positions has interviewed so many times for head coaching positions. Um, I got, you know, someone DM me just talking ball on Twitter one day and was like, do you think he's going to step away from Andy Reed and, and get out just to go somewhere else? And it was like, I feel like he doesn't, I don't know, need to do that. But I think I was wrong. I think it is probably time. He maybe feels like he is stuck and has more to go get. So if he can't get a head coach position, 
He can be a full play caller. I know that he has called plays in Kansas City at certain times. It's a little weird. You see Andy Reid calling plays. You see Eric Bieniemy calling plays. Andy Reid says Eric, Eric Bieniemy calls plays. Then you see Andy doing it again. So I'm sure they have some sort of weird system there, and that probably gives people a little bit of doubt about Bieniemy or something of the sort. But I think anyone that is competent enough to work with Andy Reid and, and be his go-to offensive guy for you know a decade is someone that probably has multiple answers to the tests that defenses present you. I think that if you're going in that direction, that's a good tree to come from under. You know, Doug Peterson comes from that tree. So many guys. And I would love to see Biennemi get an opportunity, someone who has called plays, someone who has called plays and been a part of offenses at the highest level. Um, again, you know, we're a little unsure of what would his offense alone look like, but does feel like the Ravens want to have that conversation. And if you can get into a point where you have an offense that does things the way that the Chiefs do for Patrick Mahomes in terms of the screen game that they utilize, in terms of the quick stuff, the quick game, getting the ball out of his hands at times so that he can make plays more dependent on his processing ability and high-level ability when you need it to as opposed to all the time would be a, a godsend for the Ravens and, and for Lamar Jackson if they retain him. So uh, with that uncertainty in mind, you know, you're not sure. That's the other element of it. Who's it going to be for what? Um, I think that it's weird that, you know, it's, it's hard to say that the Ravens are definitely going to go get a rookie quarterback because it felt like they kind of had an extremely friendly system for rookie quarterbacks. We were able to run the ball a ton, use a ton of play action. You can water it down a little bit, even more. So the, the concepts that they were using in the drop back game were um, they put pressure on quarterbacks, but it wasn't a lot of different things that you wouldn't see otherwise so things that quarterbacks are generally familiar with to a degree so um, with that in mind I think you know if you're looking for somebody to spruce things up Eric Bieniemy could definitely be the guy and bring that next level of, of element and easing things up on the burden of Lamar Jackson in Baltimore yeah certainly I think Bieniemy is very deserving of a either head coaching opportunity or his own offense that you know is getting out of the shadow of Nandy Reed but again you know it's, it's does he want to do that he's been on a couple of one-year contracts here so his contract is up after 2023. So we'll see what he ends up doing for him career-wise. But speaking of what people are doing for themselves career-wise, I know Lamar Jackson has been one of the most polarizing storylines of this offseason and will continue to be until there is some sort of resolution, franchise tag, extension, trade, whatever it may be. There was a report from Jeremy Fowler. I know Doug Kleeman picked up on it as well about how the Ravens and Lamar Jackson could possibly be $100 million in, in guarantees away from each other. I personally, Spencer, I want to see something a bit more concrete before I kind of go out and say, oh, the, you know, the, the report, the, I think the Dove Kleeman tweet, you know, said the trade calls are coming or something. I, I just I would want to see something more concrete before I start saying, oh, well, the Ravens are definitely going to trade Lamar Jackson or they're definitely that far apart. Are you in that same boat? I mean, what was your thought when you first saw that? It feels like they went to the Senior Bowl and that's where guys start to talk at the Senior Bowl in the Combine. It's where all 32 teams are there and representative represented with different coaches and front office executives and scouts and guys that are plugged in. It's the off season for many of them. So, or I, I guess it's kind of their season in a way. So that's when they get to all see each other and mingle um, and, and have that different element than it was in year and get to catch up on everything. So with that, they can start chit chatting. And when they start chit chatting, they say, Oh, well, you know, I think this, I think that, and based on the last contract offer that anyone has put forth, which is, you know, Jay Glazer and the NFLPA and, Josine Anderson's comments and all of those things. The Ravens offered Lamar Jackson $133 million fully guaranteed at signing. That was 
$97 million less than Deshaun Watson got fully guaranteed at signing. However, it was the second highest figure for fully guaranteed at signing ever put out there. So if Jackson would have signed that deal, it would have been number two. So to say that they're so far off and all of those things just feels like that the Ravens and Jackson have kept the situation so quiet. We hear Eric DaCosta's comments at the end of season presser that he's really proud of how quiet they've kept things. So it leads to opinion and people's minds wandering and things of that nature. So I don't know that there's any news at all. It doesn't really sound like there is. And because there's no news on that front, people just start kicking the tires and having conversations and collecting the opinions of others. So it just kind of drones on and on. And that's why I think it's the really the most basic watered down version of media sports talk that there is it's speculation about a contract it has nothing to do with the game it has nothing to do with anything else it's just trying to figure out a way to generate some sort of narrative or storyline out of something that people are interested to hear about and when it was Dak Prescott or when it was Brett Favre retiring or you know where's Peyton Manning gonna go it's all anyone cares about they've turned it into this quarterback centric league and I am just I don't know I'm personally kind of sick of it I don't think it's interesting I don't think the Ravens leak anything. When they do something, we'll know. Uh, Hollywood Brown last year, no one. There was one random Twitter user that tweeted that out five hours before the draft. No one knew. No one expected. It was shocking when they traded Hollywood Brown. The Ravens operate at Pentagon, CIA, FBI level of security with controlling what goes in and out. They have been known to release smokescreen statements about you know different contracts to smoke out one certain 1057 uh, rat that – you know, was was dealing in Bradley Bozeman's contract and they've kind of released fake information of what they were going to offer Bradley Bozeman to figure out who they should never talk to again. So Ravens are operating differently. And I think that, again, just kind of leads to all this speculation and intangible made up kind of narrative and, and whatever it has us talking about. It has the clicks. It's been going on for two years now. And I don't know, it's it's nothing of substance, nothing of value. No one brings anything to the conversation. It's, you know, it's a weird situation. It has been. So it makes people wonder. Yeah. And, you know, then you have guys like Mark Andrews going on Sirius XM radio talking about, you know, he feel you know, Lamar's a Raven for life. And he he feels like Lamar wants to be in Baltimore. And there's, so there's just so many different viewpoints of everything. And obviously, like Mark Andrews is plugged in and he understands. But again, how much of anything can you take at face value? Because the Ravens and Lamar haven't leaked anything. Like it's been such a tight situation for so long and you mentioned the Marquise Brown thing I 100% agree where nobody knew about that I didn't think it was real I'm like is this a real report that's coming out right now because there was no inkling of anything that said Marquise Brown was going to get traded that night so it's just a waiting game we'll continue to see I'm sure the reports will continue to fly as the situation continues but until something is official that, that's what it is official since something actually becomes official but spencer i appreciate you taking the time hopping on talking football with me once again be sure to please tell people where they can find you and what you're working on working on just going through the draft process twitter at ravens for dummies baltimorebeatdown.com i'm trying this year to really do a roundup of every mock draft that i see that's from national media coming from cbs or pff or espn or the athletic and then Post those in one place, keep a counter of how many times those players are getting mocked to the Ravens. And then I uh, am going to do an in-depth breakdown of players as they get mocked to the Ravens. And so kind of have all the possibilities that people put out there, put on tape and have that in what I'm calling the mock master series. Then I uh, did a pretty in-depth breakdown of Mike McDonald's defense and the pressure schemes that he utilizes and uh, looking ahead for 
Mike McDonald to kind of be the stable force for the Ravens as they have so much offensive uncertainty, looking for a coordinator, possibly looking for a quarterback. Uh, they can turn to Mike McDonald and, and what he's done in year one to, to really be that foundation for them in year two. So that article should be out tomorrow or the next day. Find it all on BaltimoreBeatdown.com, and I'll talk to you guys next week. As always, major, major shout-out to Spence for hopping on Talking Football with me. I always enjoy our conversations and, and always enjoy hearing his insight on everything Ravens. So be sure to check out his work. Everything will be in the description below. And be sure to check us out. For, again, five days a week. You can subscribe on YouTube, like this video for today. Also hit that notification bell so you get new content. We are five days a week, so that's coming up Monday through Friday. In audio form, be sure to follow us there. Again, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, turn notifications on for our content too. So new episodes will pop right up on your phone, your computer, wherever you are listening to us. Thank you so much for all the support. And that's all I have for you here today on Locked on Ravens. We'll get back here tomorrow. It's more Ravens content from us. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And I'll see you right back here tomorrow.